Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where Pastor Lauren Regeer opens God's Word each week to provide us with biblically-based teaching that helps you meet life head-on. Thank you for joining us, and may your hearts be blessed as God's Word is taught. And now, here is Pastor Lauren Regeer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time of year. We're reminded of your grace wrapped up in the form of a, uh, of a child. What a miracle baby. God in the flesh. Emmanuel, Christ with us, among us, showing us uh, the very heart and will and ways of God because he was indeed God. Thank you for the wonderful plan of redemption. You came and wrapped yourself in robes of flesh and poured out your lifeblood for us in sacrifice at the end of your days here. What a story it is. What a glorious, majestic, mysterious story it is. And Lord, today I pray that you would give us insight into this story and the narrative, and I pray that we would have something to take home with us to help us grow and improve in our walk with you. Thank you so much for the Word of God and for the incarnation. We pray again that you would teach us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Like son, like father. Parents, I don't know if you've ever said this to your children. Probably in a firm voice, most of you have. Honey, don't argue with me. Just do as you're told. If you're a parent, you've said those, some similar words. Raise your hand. Maybe you'd even use the word honey. Just do as you're told. After all, we are the parents. Please notice a phrase in our narrative, Christmas narrative this morning, a phrase that often repeats itself, recurs in the life of Joseph. We're really going to look at the human, the father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the custodial or or adoptive uh, human father. We know that he was, of course, born of a virgin, and the incarnation means the Holy Spirit and planted the seed in her womb. But he became, and by the way, this is interesting to think about, did you know that none of you, uh, I would suppose, chose your human parents. None of you did. You didn't get that option. (laughs) But Jesus chose. Now, I know there's providence involved in all the homes in which we land up or end up in, but uh, Jesus on purpose chose Joseph and Mary. And we're going to look at the life of Joseph, learn some things about his his own spirit of obedience. And I've changed it around on purpose. Like son like father. And so we'll look at that theme today. Let's begin reading. Of course, the first few verses, 17 or so, start with the, really the genealogy of Jesus through his, his kingly line, David, all, all the way back, of course, to Abraham. But the book of Matthew focuses on the kingly role of Christ. And that's, uh, that's why the genealogy is so key. And then verse 18, we see the story of the birth of Christ. I always like to, as I said in a a recent little video, I like to interrupt whatever series I'm in to focus in on Christmas truths. This time of year is wonderful. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, be our key figure today, before they came together, she was found with the Holy, with a child by the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, fair-minded, not willing to make her a public example. He was gentle in spirit, kind-hearted. He was minded to put her away or divorce her privately. privately. But when he was thinking on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, now there will be four of these encounters in chapter 1 and 2, but in the first 
vision. Here's what he heard. Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, uh, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and shalt call, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And that's where as a church we say amen. And every once in a while, glory, right? That's why he came. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from the sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. I like this recurring theme. We see it here in chapter 1. Joseph got up, took unto him his wife, Mary, did as the angel bid him to do. We see that many times repeated in these two chapters. Chapter 2, we'll see the same principle again. Chapter 2, 14, verse 21 and 22. After every single vision, angelic, heavenly vision, Joseph just gets up and obeys. We could easily uh, entitle this message, Joseph the man who did what he was told to do. How good are you at simple obedience? Joseph received four visions in Matthew 1 and 2 from God, and after each vision, he immediately did without rebuke, without questioning, without negotiation, exactly what God wanted him to do with art, without argumentation. God chose Joseph on purpose. He was a lot like the son that he would raise in his home. I know what you're thinking, though, because as I was studying this, I was trying to put myself, of course, in our shoes, and I thought this. Well, pastor... It would be pretty simple. I mean, I think if an angel appeared to me in a vision with a heavenly message, well, I would listen and I would certainly get up the next morning and I would do exactly, I mean, after all, an angel of the Lord appeared, at least in a vision, and spoke to me. Come on, I, I, how could I not obey that heavenly vision? Well, um, let me just check that a little bit. Even though you might say, well, if this kind of dramatic news came to me, well then, no doubt, I would obey. Peter claimed to be an eyewitness of the radiant glory of God, and he heard the voice of the Father. Remember where he heard the voice of the Father? On the Mount of Transfiguration. Yet, he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, the things that we have from God are a more sure word. So let me ask you again. What are you doing, not with your angelic visions at night, but with this book? What kind of an obedient, based on your practice, what kind of an obedient uh, Christian are you? We are told that we have this more, even more sure than the words of angels. And we are to take heed and obey as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns. It is our calling as believers to be obedient Christians. When you trust and obey, there's no other way 
to be happy in Jesus. Psalm 128 one says this, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. All of us probably, if I gave a little doctrinal ten-point quiz today, would probably pass it with flying colors, but the question is, how well are you practicing what you know? John 13, 17, the Lord is speaking to his disciples. Remember this verse? If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye, ouch, do them. It's not what I know that bothers me. It's what I'm not doing about what I know. So today we look at the life of Joseph, the paternal, the paternal custodian of the Son of God and his resume of faithfulness. I think it will provide to us a great challenge. Charles Schultz, the famous theologian, of course, is famous for his Peanuts cartoon strip. Lucy and Marcia are walking and talking. It's about Christmas time and they're talking about the Christmas play. Lucy says this, I'm going to ask the teacher if I can be merry in the Christmas play this year. Marcia answers, she's already asked me, sir. I don't know why she called him sir, her sir, but she's already asked me, sir. Lucy responds, I think I will be great in the part, Marcia. She asked me yesterday, Lucy ignoring her. I like the part where the angel Gabriel talks to me. Marcia is exasperated now. Why would Gabriel even talk to you? You never listen. <laughs> Why would God ever talk to us? If we never listen and obey. Have you ever been upset at yourself for how many times you have failed the same besetting sin. You wonder, when you come back to the forgiving Father, how many more times He must forgive. God is patient with us, but He wants us to obey. Luke 6.46, Why call ye me Lord, Lord? Finish that statement. And do not the things that I say. Based on our profession, uh, based not on our profession, but on our practice, how saved are you? Well, this is a great example to me, the life of Joseph, uh, of obedience. In fact, he mirrors his own son who left father, the Father's glory in heaven, uh, came down to earth, right, and was fashioned in the form of a man and became obedient. Christ, Joseph's custodial son, Joseph's son, was obedient to his own father. No wonder Joseph was chosen, selected by God to be his earthly parent. Vision number one. We'll look at these four visions and just try to glean a little bit something from each one. Four visions from God. Hopefully we can, we'll spend most of our time in the first one or two, but I want us to take, uh, take some principles home with us and apply them to our lives and our own obedience to the Lord. Number one, the vision, we notice Joseph, Joseph's obedience in the face of impossible, impossible news. We've already read the first few verses, or the last few verses of chapter 1, and I want to remind you that God has told Joseph he is to marry. Now, he, he first of all understand, or comes to find out that his wife is beginning, or his wife-to-be, he's engaged to her, 
strongly, uh, of course, there's a stronger connection in those days to the espousal period. She was indeed his wife. And although the fiancé concept is what we talk about, she was promised to him and and he was promised to her. They were as good as married. There was the espousal period where they were getting things ready for the wedding day. And he notices, as others did, that she is beginning to show and a hard-to-hide pregnancy after a while. And he is very troubled by that. Verse 20 says, while he thought on these things, I'm sure he did, he knows that the baby isn't his, and assumes that the girl he's to marry, Mary, has been unfaithful. What other conclusion could there be? Verse 19, backing up a bit, he was willing to divorce her quietly, to put her away. That's what that means. He's very troubled in his spirit about that, and he's planning to become disengaged, (laughs) divorce her. He doesn't want to publicly shame her, although he could have even put her to death. He's a fair, just person, the Bible says, Uh, and probably, as many historians uh, agree, he was probably a bit older than she. We don't know what happens to him somewhere after Jesus turns 12, the Bible gets silent about Joseph. We wonder if he didn't pass away early, uh, at least early in the narrative of the Gospels. But he considers it, verse 20. He thinks about these things, and as he's thinking about these things, God puts him into one of these, these visions. He has four of them. We see what the Spirit of the Lord says to the angel, verse 20. Joseph! Thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. He is hearing something that, may I just say this? He is hearing something that no other dad, parent, husband-to-be has ever heard nor will ever hear in recorded writ. The Spirit of God through the angel says, Joseph, don't be afraid. Marry the girl. Because what is in her womb has been implanted there by the miracle, the incarnation. The Spirit of God overshadowed her. And this baby will be the God-man. Wow. That's an impossible concept To wrap your mind around. Never before. This is miraculous. And she's going to have a son. And you will call him Jesus. The gender and name are revealed. Even before ultrasound. (laughs) And he will save his people from his sins. On top of the fact that this is the Messiah. He has a mission that is unique. Among all the babies of the world. Ever born or ever to be born, this baby will save his people from their sins. How many of you know what sin is? You all ought to have your hand up. There is an endemic, universal condition we all have, and the angel is telling Joseph, Joseph, not only is your baby going to be God, or is God, but he will save the people from their sins. Here is his... Here is his mission. I 
Sometimes we'll be writing a sermon and my mind will be battling with sin. It's everywhere. It's in me. All of us are born in sin. There has been no other eraser that can erase that curse of sin in the heart of the human and the human mind and body and soul, and sp- nobody has been able to remedy or rescue us from sin. And Joseph is getting, first of all, this news that his espoused wife is pregnant by the Holy Spirit and that the baby will be born to be the answer for sin. These are, these are just amazing realities that no other human father has ever had to grapple with and he could have said now Lord really everybody around him was whispering about Mary's scandalous infidelity and the Holy Spirit is telling him that the baby is God the Messiah who will be the answer for sin and so his response I, I, I love it. It's, uh, it's, it's really going to be kind of emblematic of his character. Uh, when he gets up, verse 23, between verses 23 and 24, you would think perhaps there would be a little discussion <laughs> when he comes to, uh, as he might want to argue or want to get more information. How is this possible? What's going on? Mary, remember when Mary was encountered by the angel? At least Mary, uh, even though we think of her as this humble, kind, meek little soul, and she probably was, she was. But she raises her hand in class and asks, that, how, how shall this be? I don't know a man physically, intimately. I'm a virgin. How in the world is this possible? But yet, here's what we like about Joseph. Here's what we learn to love about him. Between verse 23 and 24, there's no argumentation, there's no even no question. Do you know that this man, Joseph, I don't know if I've said this already, (laughs) do you know that we have no recorded words from him in his whole life? Just acts of obedience. How many parents with young toddlers and kids would love that? (laughs) Just do as you're told. That is, that is Joseph. Yes, God. He gets up, he marries the girl. Joseph being raised from the sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had been, he obeyed and took unto him his wife, knowing now that the, not knowing how it's possible, this is an improbability, impossibility, with God, of course, it's possible, and knew her not till she had brought forth her first born son, and he called his name Jesus. He would be the first father in history to be led, saved, directed by his son. So he marries the girl, even in the face of the scandalous chatter about her unfaithfulness to him, and in in the face of the word impossible, Uh, The baby is born. The baby is God, uniquely purposed to save the world from their sin. And I mentioned earlier how universal and corrupting sin is. We all wrestle with it. Sin is knocking at your door 
even this morning, perhaps to distract your mind and your heart. And it's not just, I've noticed in my life for a minute, but all my life, and not just my life, but every one of us, and not just every one of us that is now living, but every person who has ever lived. And this baby came to rescue us from our sin. And he embraces the fact that he is going to be the human custodial parent of God himself. He says, Lord, essentially, in his spirit, in his obedience, here I am. I'm willing. The second vision that he has is obedience in the face of relocation and isolation. Now, chapter 2, and I think we all we ought to read the first nine verses, is really more about the, the visit of the wise men from the east, the magicians, the sorcerers, uh, the, the political advisors who were connected in that time to astrology and astronomy. Uh, and they were highly regarded uh, by those in the east in Persia, area of Babylon. And they were very respected. Often kings would not go to battle without consulting the Magi. And they come to town. Now, Matthew, it's interesting, Matthew skips over the, the journey to Bethlehem, <clears throat> the angels over the shepherds that night, the glorious birth and all the exultation around that. He just, Matthew just, because his focus is on Christ the King and his response to the political rulers and kings of his day. And so the narrative drops down right when the Magi come to Jerusalem looking for Jesus. Now when Jesus, verse 1, was born in <clears throat> Bethlehem of Judea, the days of Herod the king, this is Herod the first, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Now I'm sure in your little nativity scene you have three. I hate to burst your bubble today, we don't know for sure how many there were. My guess is because of how stirred up the town is, there's probably more than three. There could have been as many as 300. Or it was a grand entourage, stately group of folks that come in. <clears throat> and not probably just three, probably more than that. It says, behold, they came to Jerusalem. They came first because the star led them in that direction, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. That glorious truth, underline that. That's why we ought to seek Christ. That's why we ought to go to church. And when Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. There was an understanding in those days that a famous king would come and be born in the area of Judea. No doubt comes from Daniel's influence in the past. And so all Jerusalem is stirred up. The Romans were afraid of a coming king from the land of Israel and from that area. So when they heard about this, there was this stirring about. And when they gathered, the, so he gathered the chief priests and scribes who should know about kings of Israel. They gathered them together. He demanded of them where Christ should be, where Christ should be born, the Messiah. And they said unto him, <clears throat> in Bethlehem of Judea, these guys <clears throat> were very astute, weren't they? They knew, the, they knew the book. They knew the Old Testament. For thus is written by the prophet, Thou, we read that, Thou, Bethlehem, a land of Judah, art thou not least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor 
that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called these wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go! He's a little wily, isn't he? Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him. Also, big fat lie. He wanted to kill him. And when they heard the king, <clears throat> they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over the place where the young child was. They saw the star, the wise men did, they were exceedingly joyful. The second vision really comes after the birth of Christ. Again, the focus of Matthew is on the king, and he, uh, he, he mentions the coming of the wise men. Again, probably a greater group than three, although we get that idea from the gifts, the three that are mentioned. But the Bible says when they get to town, let's just spend a minute thinking about the scene that precedes the second vision. When they get to town, these, this group of wise men from perhaps the area of Persia come and begin to say, the Bible says, uh, they're saying, verse 2, that word in the Greek has this sense of continual action. They continually say, they continually ask from door to door, everywhere in the marketplace, where is the king? They assumed by their study and influence perhaps of Daniel and other prophets that had been residents in Babylon in the past, that, that all of Jerusalem would be ready for the moment. They ought to know because the prophets had told them when and where and how. This baby would come and be born. And so now when they got to Jerusalem, they expected there to be this big party in place. But there wasn't. People had no clue about Jesus. Now they knew about the Messiah coming, but they had no idea that Jesus was born in their very neighborhood. Their presence in town and their official status as sorcerers, advisors, magi, or wise men, the palaces in the east, elevated the quest to the ears of Herod, who was incredibly cruel, jealous. Let me just say about this man, Herod the first, uh, first of five Herods, he had married a Jewish girl, so he was aware. He married her in order to gain some sort of favor from the people that he was in charge of, the Jews. His wife, Jewish wife, was named Marianne. And so uh, with her at his side, he gained some favor, garnered some favor with the Jews around him, but he was extremely vicious and cruel. He showed them some benevolence at 25 BC during a tremendous famine, but after that he turned the sword upon the people. He drowned one of the high priests in Jerusalem, a brother to his own wife, Marianne. He then killed Mary Ann, her mother, and three of his own sons by her. Five days before he died, just telling you about the character of Herod I, five days before he died, he ordered the execution of most of the aristocracy, religious leaders in Jerusalem. He killed them five days before his own death. And why he did that? He did that because he knew no one would cry at his funeral. And he wanted tears to be shed the time he died. So he just killed a bunch of other people. That's Herod. Cruel, 
Well, he would order the death of all the male babies. We see that in chapter 2, verse 16, two and a half years under in the area of Bethlehem. And we, we notice, again, a mysterious glory light which led the, the, the wise men. There's more talk about what does that star look like? What did it mean? What could it have meant? Then really some of the things we should be studying in this wonderful story of Jesus coming. The word for star there that led these wise men who were students of the celestial heavens, the word for star there in the Greek can mean a big star in the heavens. It can mean that. Or it can simply mean translucence, radiance of an object, glowing object. So we, we will never know for sure until we get to heaven what that... But obviously, a star that is often bigger than earth could not come and pinpoint a location of a domicile, a house somewhere. We know that. Likely, this star appeared to these who had eyes of faith, led them as a glowing orb in the direction of Jerusalem where they got no real information except from the priests, and then on to Bethlehem. And obviously, if this were seen to all eyes, a moving, glowing orb above this entourage of, of men from the east, wise men, they would have had a, quite a following. I think I appreciate the, the comments of one Bible historian who believes that this kind of glowing translucence and glory was seen only to those who had eyes to see it. And it stopped over the house. And, and Jesus is in a house now where Mary is recovering from childbirth. She, she's no longer in the manger. So God, who's never been lost or misdirected, had this glowing orb, this glory, this almost a Shekinah-like cloud of glory Blazing clouds stop over the house. And then the wise men who had made an 800-mile journey had a little party of their own. This is the house where God is. And they fell and they worshiped. When they saw the star, verse 10, chapter 2, they rejoiced. There is a superlative upon superlative here. They had a glory fit. Now, parents, an aside. Let me interrupt the sermon with a sermon. Your kids are so excited about that big box that you've got wrapped up for them because they just know it's the latest gadget, right? That they just have their hearts so wrapped around. And, and I love it because we have two little... The travelers are not coming from the east. We have two little travelers, grandsons, they are coming from the north today. And I'm excited about that. But, and I know that their eyes, it's, it's just a wonderful, as we exchange gifts, don't throw that custom out. I'm not tr I'm preaching against that. But I wonder, <laughs> when's the last time your kids have seen in your face the true wonder of Christmas. Mary, 
to the window goes, not looking for Rudolph, Santa Claus. She throws up the sash, I think the poem says. She looks out and says, honey, Joseph, we are surrounded (laughs) by men with gifts and they're rejoicing. And then she herself perhaps notices this glory light all around the house. They already know they have a special child. But what a wonder it is to include this little verse. They rejoiced, as did the shepherds, with exceeding glory. Well, the angel appears again. The third vision, we see obedience while waiting on God's timing. And we see it after the wonderful encounter with the wise men. They are told to go another way home, and they do that. And then the angel appears again to Joseph. Verse 13, and when the wise men were departed, the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph. We see another mark of his obedient spirit. Comes in a dream again, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And we know that he did that. He destroyed everybody in the age frame, two years and under, and the mothers there in that part of Judah, Judea, were screaming and crying in terror and in sorrow for those that were killed. But before that happens, the Lord rescues his, uh, his own son. So after he has that dream, verse 13, immediately he arises and took the young child and his mother while it's still night. Doesn't wait till the morning. Immediately he obeys and departs into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod. Let me just say something about Egypt. He has Uh, probably doesn't have a lot of friends or relatives in Egypt. He has to go at night immediately some 75 miles south to the border of Egypt. And probably many commentators believe that he went even farther than that to get out of the long arm of Herod and Herod's soldiers in the Roman Empire. And he went all the way perhaps even to Alexandria, where some statistics tell us there were, was a group of Jews there living in that city, even up to one million strong. Do you know the Jews have been scattered ever since the beginning of time, haven't they? Running from persecution. And so they go 75 miles, and then perhaps another few miles to get away from. Isn't it amazing? You know, there's so many nuances to this story. But here's a God who does the impossible, implants his son in the womb of a virgin girl. And you would think that a God like that, strong enough to to send his son, that miraculous birth, could have just built a a little house somewhere near Bethlehem and put a force field around it. But instead, he uses the very natural, normal means of saying, now I want you to leave flee for the next couple years. We don't know how long they were in Egypt. Some say four months, some say up to six to 11 years. We're not sure about that. But, but they leave and they go away from family. They go away from, um, they're isolated. And while he's there, of course, he waits patiently 
Some of you are in God's waiting room right now. You feel like you've been dislocated, relocated. Perhaps you're in a place that's not familiar to you. And yet Joseph was obedient to flee from uh, the persecution that was there and to stay there patiently, again, without a word, until Jesus, uh, through the angel, till the Lord again gives him instruction to move on. I, I just want to let you know that perhaps when you're thinking, I'm not in a happy place and I've been here a long time. I'm not in a happy place in my life, my marriage. I, I'm in a difficult and the Lord hasn't moved me on or allowed me to make a transition. And I, I'm just, I'm anxious. Joseph teaches us obedience in that difficult time while waiting on God's timing. He simply stays there. But verse 19 says, and we get to our fourth vision, uh, but when the angel came in the vision, um, the Lord appears in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, Arise. Take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead, which sought the young child's life. Patient there, and he's faithful through the, till that third vision that moves him back. And he rose and took the young child and his mother, came to the land of Israel. And here we see the, the fourth and final exchange by vision. Verse 22, but when he came, he thought, well, this is great. Herod the first is gone, but his son... Archelaus is now reigning, who is a chip off the block, really. He's about as bad as his daddy in terms of cruelty. He heard that when he came back to the area of Judea. And he's, he's reigning now in the place of his father, Herod. Well, Joseph, being a little bit politically savvy, was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding, here again, God appears. Being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside in the parts of Galilee. Now, verse 23, he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. You see here the journey from where he was south of Gaza, <clears throat> the sea begins to return there. That's the north part of Egypt. It's a fair journey. Nazareth, you see by the Sea of Galilee at the top of the map, is 55 miles north of Bethlehem. They've got a long journey, and they, I'm sure, wouldn't stay in the, the land of their antiquity and their forefathers, Bethlehem. But instead, God leads them where? God leads them to a city called Nazareth. What do we know about the Nazarenes, or the, uh, not, the, not the denomination. But what do we know about the city of Nazareth? If you were picking towns to live in, you wouldn't go there. It was known as kind of the town of, well, hayseeds and backward, uneducated, uh, mainly tradesmen, a few fishermen. <clears throat> it is located near enough to the sea to commute, but... It was not a place where anybody of any renown, especially, listen to me now, especially not a prince or king would go to be trained or to grow up. It was the lowest of the low. I don't know if you grew up on the other side of the tracks. We did. <laughs> and in fact, I had to cross the tracks to get to school. And we were known, oh, you're from that neighborhood. 
good luck in your life. Jesus, on purpose, led Joseph to go past Bethlehem, past some very nice neighborhoods with good schools, perhaps even a mall or two, no, to a place where it was just rough to be. And God did that on purpose. And Joseph, as he's taking his little donkey and family all the way north to Nazareth, could have been saying, you know, I, I know I'm... I know I'm just a carpenter. Now, he could have been an iron worker, too. The word has latitude in it. But he was a worker, a tradesman. But I, I know I'm, I'm not much, but do we have to, Lord, do we have to go there? But he just, without a word of, of argumentation, takes his, his son, who is the Messiah, to go grow up, in a, in a city with streets full of folks, common folks, just like you and me, where there, there in that place, he learned the trade, right, of his daddy. And he ran the streets with common boys and girls. And he grew up in a common house with just normal parents, but lower in the state, perhaps, than anywhere else. They laughed at the uneducated folks from Nazareth. Aren't you glad that Joseph simply said, Lord, I'm willing to be one who, who doesn't argue with you when you give me. I'm not going to argue with me with you when you give me this impossibility because with you, God, all things are possible. If you want me to be the steward and raise the Son of God, then I will try to be a good father to him. And then, Lord, if you, if you want to take me away from what I know to a land and relocate me in Egypt for a while, then I'm going to be patient with you. And then, Lord, if you put me in the lowest estate, if that's your will, I'm just going to do what you ask me to do. I want to close with this thought. I don't know how many of you right now are arguing with God about something he's given you to do. And maybe just by nature, you're not a Joseph. By nature, you're more, well, you're a fighter. And God needs all kinds, right? But maybe by nature, you're just always pulling at the tether. Ever had a dog like that take it for a walk? And it takes you for a walk? I guess you can train dogs out of that. I've never had any success with that. But instead of walking alongside your God right now, you are just all over the place. You're pulling, you're pulling, you're pulling, and you're not content with what God... Joseph, the human <clears throat> father of this God child, God himself in the flesh, teaches us obedience and isn't it great to know in Philippians chapter 2, Christ himself practiced obedience with his father. What kind of neighborhood did he leave? Huh. Heaven. What kind of neighborhood did he go to? He uh, robed himself in flesh and came and lived among us. And lived not only among us, he chose his parents, Mary and Joseph. They were not 
in the upper echelon of society. And he chose to live in Nazareth, a city that would later reject his own teaching. And then he went to the cross and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What a great lesson Joseph teaches us. Would you bow your heads with me, please, as we consider again applying these truths to our own hearts this morning. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Pastor Lauren Regeer at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.